0: chapter 2, we are going to be actually reading a a Christmas passage this morning, which has been odd this Advent season, but we will be looking at some Christmas scripture uh, as we look at the joy that Jesus brings, the Advent of joy. Uh, And of course, we are in our third week of Advent series, and as we've said before, Advent is a time where we, we take a little extra time and we reflect... And we remember the true meaning of the holiday. You know, Christmas is not just about uh, presents and traditions and the things we, you know, the Christmas movies. And look, I love uh, Christmas traditions. I like watching uh, Christmas movies. I love watching, you know, Elf. Elf is one of my favorite Christmas movies. I uh, also like, you know, a Christmas story. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. And uh, so every year I have some new ones. I like, you know, there's some I hate. I, I, I hate It's a Wonderful Life. I know some of y'all are like, oh, it's a terrible movie. I know y'all think it's great. It's not. It's awful. It's bad. I despise it. I do not like White Christmas because April, one year, watched White Christmas from about March through December. Every day. So I saw it 487,000 times. So I hate White Christmas. I hate all that stuff. Uh, I love Elf. I love Home Alone. Uh, Although, you know, there's a lot of those those robbers should be dead. Uh, You know, there's a new one out Home Sweet Home Alone. Uh, it's not quite as violent. You know, the the injuries they sustain are, are you know, the, you could survive them. Uh, so it's a little more uh, realistic. But I, I like the Christmas traditions. I like, you know, cooking Christmas cookies. And, you know, every Christmas Eve, uh, our family, we uh, give, we, we do uh, a secret Santa at our house. You know, everybody picks somebody and you have to get them a present for like, or less, and so, uh, you know, we exchange our secret Santa gifts. We uh, always have Christmas Eve pajamas we always open, matching pajamas we open and wear. And then we always watch uh, Polar Express on Christmas Eve. Uh, We used to watch It's a Wonderful Life, but I convinced April I hated enough that we'd stop doing that, and now we watch Polar Express. Uh, Then we all go to bed. Uh, The kids, uh, for some stupid reason, like to wake up at, like, 3 in the morning uh, to open presents, which I never get because like, okay, wake up at 3, we open presents, 345, go back to bed because I'm tired. Um, but anyways, I-, I love those traditions. But that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is a time for us to celebrate and remember and rejoice in the truth that God came to man. That yes, a baby was born in a manger in a city called Bethlehem to a, a virgin and a carpenter who was his, his I guess you call him stepfather, but he was his adoptive father, whatever. But yes, that, that event happened, but that event wasn't just some, some, some random birth. It was God wrapping himself in flesh and coming to man for the sole purpose of saving us from our sins. So Christmas is what we remember that's why God came. Look, Easter is important. I love Easter. The resurrection. Every year at Easter, I spend time personally, uh, reading about the crucifixion, reading about the resurrection, and it's just, it's so powerful, and I love that. But without, without the birth of Christ, without Christmas or Advent, there'd be no Easter. There'd be no resurrection, there'd be no death, we'd still be lost in our sins. So Advent's a time where we say, God, we want to remember and thank you for the truth that you came to save us. But we also look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming again. Yes, he came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our sins. He was buried. He rose three days later. He ascended to God the Father. And yes, he is sitting at the right hand of God right now, but we know that he's coming back to get us one day. And so we say, God, thank you for coming. And thank you for the truth that you're coming again. And so Advent, of course, it means arrival, and we are thanking God for his first arrival and looking towards his second arrival. And each week, we look at a different aspect of what these two truths mean for us. The hope that Jesus, the truth that Jesus came and is coming again brings us. The love, the truth that Jesus came and is coming again shows us. And this morning, we're going to look at the joy that the truth that God came to man as a baby, and he's coming again to redeem us one day, the joy that that brings us. You know, every year, parents sometimes go through extreme lengths to get their children the perfect gift. There's even... Christmas movies around. I think there's one called Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he's fighting some guy for a robot or whatever. And it's just, you know, we we go to extreme lengths to get our children presents. In the 90s, it was Tickle Me Elmo. Anybody remember the Tickle Me Elmos? Did anyone stand in line on Black Friday to get a Tickle Me Elmo? Good. Uh, But I remember hearing stories like grandmothers beating each other up for this little red laughing doll to give to their kid. In, uh, in the 2000s, it was the, uh, the Bratz dolls. Do y'all remember what, because some of you remember this time, anybody remember what the big toy for Christmas was in the 70s? The biggest toy in all of the 70s for Christmas time was the pet rock. People went to stores to buy rocks and these rocks came in boxes with holes in it so the rock could breathe and care instructions for your rock. That Whoever came up with that was a genius. Uh, An evil genius, but a genius. But, you know, it's gotten better now. Thankfully, COVID kind of stopped a lot of the Black Friday stuff, and they haven't picked that back up. But uh, a lot, and now I never did it. April never did it. We never did the Black Friday thing where you stop, you know, Thanksgiving. You go out and you wait in line for hours and hours and hours to get a perfect gift. Our thought was if they can't deliver it via UPS, we don't need it. And that's basically, and now we're getting that way with groceries. If they can't drop my groceries off at my house, we don't need groceries. We'll just get, we'll get by. We don't like going out and shopping. But, you know, people, parents, we spend thousands of dollars and hours and hours and hours trying to find the perfect gift for our our children, for our grandchildren, for our spouses, for our loved ones. And these these presents we spend all this time and all this money on. They bring happiness for a while, but none of them actually bring true, lasting joy. The gift that God sent to man on that first Christmas is different. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verse number 8. The Bible says, and we were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. So this morning as we're continuing through the Advent season, we're going to look at three things about the the joy that we see in this first Christmas morning. First thing we're going to look at is the foundation of our joy. The problem with things on earth that we look for joy in is they they, they offer diminishing returns. Whether it's a, an item, whether it's a person, whatever it is, the more you use an earthly gift, the less joy that it brings you. How many of y'all remember the Best Christmas present you got last year, whatever it was. Yeah. All right. Omega remembers his favorite, his best Christmas present. Huh? Binoculars. They still bring you the same joy they brought him when you got on that first Christmas morning? No. That's the thing. I mean, I don't even remember the gifts I got last year. I know I got socks, I know I got Christmas pajamas. But I don't even remember what I got. And if I ask my kids, all right, Connor, what's your, what did I get you? What's your favorite present I got you last year? Do you remember anything I got you last year? A sweatshirt. A sweatshirt. Yeah. Do you even know where that sweatshirt is? Yeah. It's in your room, okay. Are you still excited by that sweatshirt? I still like you still like it, but it doesn't bring you as much joy as it used to. Help me out here, man. <laughs> you're, you're ruining my sermon. Jeez, I got to call on somebody else now. But that's the thing. You know, you get a present, and, you know, we've all had our kids where we, you know, we, we get our kids or our grandkids a present, and they open it up, and their, their face just lights up because it's what they wanted. It's that perfect gift, whether it's a, an iPad or a game system or Legos or whatever. It's just, man, this is what I want, and they're so excited by, by it. They're not that excited by it by the first of the year, especially younger kids. You know, you get younger kids. You spend all this money on these great toys for these younger kids, and they spend more time playing with the box than they do the toy. And, you know, we've all experienced that. And so they, the present, when they first open it, man, it brings joy and excitement. And they're so excited. But eventually it, it, it fades. The item doesn't become something that brings us great joy. It just becomes something that we own. You know, the shepherds, they show us that when we encounter Christ, we don't have joy that lasts for a minute and then is gone we have joy that lasts for eternity. That is the foundation of joy. Because all the other stuff, that excitement you experience when you open a present, so, that's not joy, that's happiness. And happiness can fade. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is dependent on your circumstances. Joy lasts forever. And the only way we can experience true joy Joy is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There was, this was lasting joy. This, this joy had such an impact on the shepherds that the Bible says when they left the baby in the manger, they went and told everyone they came in contact with about what they'd experienced. They told everyone, hey, you've got to meet this baby, you've got to experience this. God has come to man, we've met the Messiah, he's a baby in a manger. And they just, they spread the word about what had happened to everyone they could. That is what true joy does to us. Three days le- later, Jesus gives us an insight on what this joy does in our lives. In John 15, he says, I have spoken things, these things to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. How many of us can honestly say that our joy is full? We are full of joy all the time. You know, there are a hundred. And 55 verses in the Bible that talk about joy. In every one of them, God's not encouraging joy, God's not suggesting joy, God's not even offering joy. In 155 verses, God commands that we have joy. We are commanded to have joy more times than we are commanded to repent we are commanded to have joy twice as much as we're commanded to repent God wants our lives to be filled with joy to be marked with joy to be overflowing with joy and the only way we can have that joy is through a relationship in Jesus Christ you know in Galatians chapter 5 we have the the fruit of the spirit and, you know, we all know the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, what? Love? Joy. Joy. It's the second one. Now, we have a, a miss understanding of what the fruit of the spirit is. You've know, heard people preach about and they'll list the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and they'll they'll list them as like here are, here's a checklist of things you have to make sure that you are doing or make sure you have in your life to prove that you're a believer or to earn, you know, favor from God or whatever. But Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that we produce the fruit of the spirit by abiding in the vine. We don't do anything to make the fruit of the Spirit evident in our life. We produce the fruit of the Spirit simply by abiding with Jesus, by having a relationship with Jesus. You know, if you've ever grown of tomatoes, tomatoes grow off of the vine. You start growing a tomato plant and you cut off a branch and throw it in the ground and say, that, that's going to produce tomatoes in a while. No, it's not. That branch can try and want to produce a tomato so hard, but if it's not attached to the vine, it's not going to produce anything. It's the same thing with us. You cannot have true joy if you're not abiding with Jesus, if you're not living in an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. The shepherd's joy was not from anything that they had done. They didn't have this joy because They were watching the sheep real good. They didn't have this joy because they did some great thing. They had joy because of God and God only. They were watching sheep. They were doing their job. job. They were just living their life. But when they heard Jesus, when they met Jesus, they received life-changing joy. That's how joy begins in our lives. It It begins the same way it began with the shepherds, By encountering Jesus. First, it has to begin with salvation. People who do not know Jesus as their Savior, they can be happy. We talked about this last week, the the, the concept of common grace. Unsaved people can have good things in their life. They can enjoy good meals. They can enjoy family traditions. They can enjoy good relationships, and they can have good things. They can have happiness. But they're never going to have joy until they meet Jesus. And again, that joy doesn't come from anything we've done. We don't have joy because we earn salvation because we cannot earn salvation. We receive the joy that God offers us because we understand that God loved us so much that he he became flesh. He wrapped himself in flesh, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life. He did what we could never do. He completely fulfilled the law of God. He died a death we should have suffered and died. When he hung on the cross, he became sin for us so we could receive his righteousness. Through his work, he suffered, he bled, he died, he was buried, but rose again three days later to redeem us to God the Father. And we put our faith and trust in that, and we accept him as our Savior, we receive joy. You won't have it without that. But even as a believer who's who's had that, we have access to joy but too many of us we don't, our joy's not full because yes, we're saved, we're going to heaven when we die, but we don't enjoy an intimate daily relationship with God. God is just somebody we think about once a week when we go to church. God's just the guy we, we turn to and talk to when we, we have problems that we can't fix. When the doctor gives us a bad diagnosis and no medicine is going to help, then we go to God. When our kids are running or breaking our hearts, then we go to God. That's not a relationship with God. That's, that's using God as a genie. And you're never going to have joy with that until you have an intimate, daily relationship with God. It grows as we get to know Him. Without found that foundation, we will never have joy. Second thing we want to look at is not only the foundation of our joy, but I want to look at how we can embrace the joy. How we embrace the joy that Jesus gives us. What do we do with that joy? The joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus, it has to be embraced by us daily. Look, life is going to try to steal your joy. Circumstances, obstacles, duties, just the everyday life is going to try to steal our joy. But look what the Bible says in Philippians 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going well. Rejoice in the Lord when everybody's healthy. Rejoice in the Lord, when life's just blue skies and perfect, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And then to nail at home, again, I say, rejoice. One part of embracing the joy or walking in joy is we have to choose to rejoice in everything. See, the joy that we get from God, it's not connected to our circumstances. It's connected to a decision. We choose to rejoice. And the the key to choosing to have joy, to choosing to rejoice is, is saying, God, no matter what I'm going through, no matter how hard life may get, I am going to rejoice in what you're doing in my life and what you've done for me, no matter if my circumstances are painful or disappointing. You know, in, in the book of Habakkuk, you know Habakkuk is one of the Old Testament prophets, and he is prophesying during a time when Israel is in serious trouble. Wickedness, idolatry are rampant throughout the nation of Israel. The Assyrians are about to invade the nation because of their sin. God is sending them. They're suffering with, with pestilence and plagues and disease and drought. And it is a very bad Time in the nation of Israel. Habakkuk says in chapter uh, Habakkuk 3, starting in verse 17, it says, though the fig tree does not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the yield of the olive fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks are cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stall. So here's what Habakkuk's saying. He goes, look, if the the crops fail, if the the, the livestock dies, if we have nothing... We're we're destitute, we're poor, we're hungry, and we have no hope at all. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt the God of my salvation. See, the situation that Habakkuk's facing, it it can't be any worse. It can't get any worse for them because. They, they have no food anyway, they have no water, there's drought, there's famine, there's pestilence, there's insects that destroy the crops, the Assyrians are about to invade. It is bad for them, but Habakkuk's response isn't to complain or to cry out to God in anger or, you know, God, why are you doing this? He says, God, it is a terrible situation, but I am going to rejoice in it. I'm going to be joyful in this pain. Now, For most of us, we only rejoice in good times. When we're happy, we rejoice. When things are good, we rejoice. Biblical joy is different. Biblical joy means that we can rejoice no matter the circumstances we're going through. Because we know whatever we're facing, whatever pain we may endure, whatever sickness we may have, Whatever we're facing on earth is just for a moment. In the grand scheme of eternity, if you live to be 120, which I know no one's going to, but let's say some way, somehow you live to be 120. Look, I don't want to live to be 120. I don't think it looks very good. But say you live to be 120. Of those 120 years, 80 of them are miserable. You're sick. Your mother-in-law lives with you. It's just, you're a preacher. And so your life's just horrible. I'm not speaking from experience or anything. I'm just saying. Your life's just terrible. Y'all liked that, didn't you? All like that did not you So after 120 years, 80 years of it awful, you die as a believer. You open your eyes in, in heaven. You see your Savior face to face. And you are now spending eternity with God where there's no pain, there's, there's no heartache, there's no tears, there's no sickness, there's, there's, there's no mother-in-laws, praise the Lord. <laughs> there's no Baptist church to the pastor because he's the pastor, so everything's great. You can rejoice and say, God, yeah, I had pain on this earth but Lord, it's nothing to compare to the joy I'm going to experience in eternity. It's nothing compared to the joy I'm going to have when I finally see my Savior face to face. But not only that, we can rejoice, and we're going to get to this in a minute, we can rejoice in tribulations and pain. We talked about it in Romans in our prayer time because we know that the pain we go through, it's not pointless. God is working in our lives for our our good and for his glory. We have a reason to rejoice. We can rejoice as believers no matter what we're facing and we have joy that can last forever because we know God has come the Messiah has come. God has wrapped himself in flesh, has come to mankind, has lived a sinless life, has died in our place, has rose again. I it to God the Father, we can rejoice that he has come, but we can also rejoice knowing he's coming again to receive us. He's coming again to bring us to glory, to create a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be exactly as it was supposed to be in the beginning. So we can... Have the foundation of our joy. We can have the, see how to embrace our joy. And the third thing we're going to look at, number three, is this joy lasts forever. This is joy that lasts. See, the joy we have in Jesus, it can never be taken away. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through. You know, very a verse of scripture we all know very well. Romans eight twenty eight. We all, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, y'all know I like to get into the the Greek etymology of of English words and what it means in the original. And I've told you before, in the Greek, the word all means all. That's all all means. But in this passage, all things is a Greek word. It's not the word all, it's all things is a Greek word. And it's a Greek word, "pos." That Greek word means things individually and things collectively what that means is whatever happens to you today you go out to go home and you got a flat tire you on the way home and you know your, your car breaks down or something bad happens or your favorite team loses or whatever happens to you today that is working together for your good But the collective things that happen in your life, the collection of of all the things that are going on in your life, those work together for your good as well. So all things literally means all things, not most things, not the good things, not the bad things, not things that are in this certain time of year or this certain time of your life. Everything that happens in your life as a child of God is happening for a purpose because God is using it for your good. No matter what circumstances you face, we can be certain that one of two things is happening. Either God sent it to you or God is allowing it to happen to you. But whatever, whether it's one, either one of those two things, it's happening for your good and for God's glory. Everything that comes to you is filtered through the hands of a loving, heavenly Father. Things happen to us that are sent or allowed by God, they are for our good and for our growth. That means the painful thing that you're going through right now, the painful thing you just came out of, the painful thing you're about to enter, causes one of those three things. You either just came out of a painful time, you're in a painful time, or one's coming. That's what that's just how life is. But whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, it is being used by God for your good. And that brings us joy. Because we know we don't suffer pointlessly. We're not hurting for no purpose. We're not suffering because God's got nothing better to do. We are suffering for our good and for a purpose. And that brings us joy. We can rejoice in those things. You know, in the, the Old Testament, Israel, you know, you read through the Old Testament and you look at the nation of Israel. And man, they were a mess. They had all kinds of problems. And, you know, they just, they, they never seemed to really understand what God was doing. You know, God would tell them, uh, you're going to do this and this is going to be the judgment, so don't do it. And you know what they would do? Exactly what God said, don't do. And then the judgment, and they, oh, God, why did you let this happen? And God's in heaven going, I, I, I told you. I told you, do this, this happens, you did it, what did you expect? And so they're, they're kind of like stupid children in my opinion, but they had two sins they always struggled with, idolatry and complaining. God hates idolatry, but God really hates complaining. Remember, they come out of Egypt they start complaining about water, so God gives them water. Kind of nice, you know, being good to them. They complain they're hungry, so God sends manna from heaven. Every morning, they get up, step out of their tent, and there's there's just honeycomb cereal for them to eat. All day, every day. Man, God's literally raining down fruit from heaven, and they eat that, and they enjoy that. But then they start complaining because I'm sick of this honey stuff. I won't leeks and garlics and bread and meat. And I want all this stuff. And so remember when they start complaining about having meat and God sends them quail? Sends quail, so much quail, it's waist deep. And as they are eating the flesh of the quail that they complained they didn't have, those that had had the meat in their mouth, God killed them dead. God really doesn't like complaining. And, you know, as a parent, I don't like complaining either. You know, our, my kid, Connor, poor Connor, he's such a middle child. I love him so much, but he's such a middle child syndrome. His life is terrible. I don't know if y'all know that. He is just abused and misused. I mean, he's just, his life's bad. Uh, but, you know, I like to, he likes to complain about stuff. I'm like, my, I had, my life was worse than yours. I had it real bad. You know, you got Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. I had three channels, and if the president was on or a spaceship blew up, we got nothing. So don't complain to me. But God really hates complaining because complaining to God is telling God he's not providing enough for you. It is saying, God, you're not good enough. You've not done enough for me. Now, we should share our burdens with God. We should share our burdens with each other. The Bible commands us, share our burdens, our struggles, and say, man, I've got this burden. I've got this, I've got this prayer request. I've got this struggle I'm going through. But complaining is different. Sharing a burden or sharing a prayer request is one thing. But sharing a prayer request goes, I need you to pray for me and my job because my boss is such a jerk. And then just go on for 30 minutes complaining about your boss. That's not a prayer request. That's a, that's a Baptist way to complain without complaining, but you're complaining. Complain about your boss, complain about your spouse, complain about your kids, your circumstances, that is a sin. And it dishonors God and it's divisive between you and God and you and other believers. But rejoicing restores your joy. See, complaining steals your joy. Rejoicing restores it. Complaining never helps anything. Never helps, it never solves anything. How many of you have ever complained about something and then it magically got fixed? No, you just vented all your problems. And again, you can pour your burden out to God and say, God, this is a situation and God, I just, I don't know what to do. And Lord, please help me have the strength to get through this. And Lord, I'm going to rejoice in it because I know you're doing something. But God, please give me wisdom. But just going to God and saying, God, I don't think this is fair. Lord, I don't like this, 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 this. Lord, I don't have enough money. My my wife's not pretty enough. My husband's not nice enough. Our house isn't big enough. Complaining is going to God and saying, God, what you've given me isn't good enough. And God hates that. Read the Old Testament. God has killed people for that. So he takes it pretty serious. God despises complaining. That's why God says rejoice in everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, whatever you're facing, rejoice in it. See, joy is stolen from our lives when we forget what Jesus' birth really means to us. You know, we, we search for joy in, in these, these things that the, the Lord, that the world never brings us, instead of just enjoying the true, lasting joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus. True, lasting, fulfilling joy comes from knowing and walking with Jesus. From loving Jesus above everything else. You know, life, life can be hard. I'll be the first one to admit I'm not, you know, there's some of these prosperity preachers that are like, you know, life's unicorns and rainbows. And if your life's not this, it's because you don't have the faith to have it happen and all that. And they're full of garbage and don't listen to them. If anyone says, if you just, if you just had more faith, your life would be perfect. They're lying. Even Jesus said that you're going to follow me. You're going to have burdens. So look, life can be hard. Life can be difficult for us. But we have the secret to true, lasting joy that can never be taken away. And it's the same secret the shepherds have. We have joy in the truth that the Savior has come, and he's coming again one day. In him, we are saved. In him, we have joy. No matter what happens, that can't be taken away. You know, Jesus said... If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. We need to live like we are free. Live like we are truly saved. Every moment that we have on this earth is an opportunity for us to praise God for what he's doing in our lives, even if it hurts. We have joy that can't be explained and can't be taken away.